0: Coding bootcamps are a subject of controversy. Critics of coding bootcamps defend the conventional university system, and these critics argue that bootcamp graduates do not have enough experience to write quality software. But the reality is that some bootcamp graduates have found success from this new educational path. After graduating high school, Kenny Tran attended one coding bootcamp and then spent some time at home, absorbed in his own personal projects, Eventually he went to a second coding boot camp, his form of graduate school. During this second boot camp, Kenny worked on Purify CSS, a module that can reduce the size of front-end projects by 60%. Today, Kenny works at the groundbreaking company Mesosphere, completing a career arc that proves that coding boot camps are enough of an education to rival traditional university learning. Kenny Tran is the author of Purify CSS and a contributor to Webpack. Kenny, welcome to Software Engineering Daily.
1: Hey, uh, thanks for having me. When
0: a user opens up a web page, a large mass of code is processed by the browser, and this front-end code has been compressed to take up less space on the user's side. And this compression is always done by a front-end web developer who wrote that code. And you are one of those front-end developers. So give me an idea of what you are doing to reduce the size of your front-end code when I receive that code as a user on my browser.
1: Right. So, so in today's world, there's a lot of code that is like prepackaged, like frameworks and stuff. And... Like the benefit of frameworks is, like, you get to build things really quickly, and really fast. But one of the downsides to that is you're going to have a lot of code that is essentially unused. So, I created a module that, that pretty much ch- tries to look for code that is unused and then strips it out of the files, which reduces the file size, which is really good. You know, better load times, you get to see Facebook quicker. (laughs) Absolutely.
0: So okay, so we'll get into that. Um, Before we talk about purifying, though, there are two Mm -hmm. steps to to lowering the load speed of a web page that we typically have in the industry. And these are the steps that are known as concat and minify. Can you talk about these two steps? What do what do concat and minify refer to?
1: Right, so concat is um, before like, you. Let's say you have like two pages and stuff, and like you have a, like a login screen, and then you have like your feed page where you see all the posts and stuff like that. So, um, and each of these pages would need specific things. So you would have to make separate requests for all of these things that you need for these different pages. Um, so concat basically combines all of the files. So you would just need to make one request. Now, like why is why is that helpful? Is this because every single time you make a request, there's a lot of overhead that you have to do. You, ha- you gotta send a lot of like weight back and forth, and that slows things down. So when you concat, you put all the files together. And you only have to do, like, the travel distance, like, once, which reduces the time. And what about Minify? And, um, and, yeah, for Minify. Now, now Minify is where, you know, like, we write code to for the computer to, like, do a certain amount of steps. But we also write code for humans to read so we can work together. Um, minify... And because we work with other humans, we want to write it in a way that is readable. And to do that, we add a lot of like we add a lot of like sugar into the code that we write. Minifying essentially like forgets like makes your code unreadable, but it compacts it so that the computer still understands what's going on. And like the co- code is absolutely unreadable, but it makes it much, much smaller. And again, this is for that benefit of reducing load time. Your goal
0: is to introduce another step between concat and minify, and you call this step purify. What does it mean to purify our CSS, and how does that fit into the, the two steps of concat and minify?
1: Okay, so... So basically, you can imagine we have all these CSS files. You have, like, all these style files. And you combine them all into one. So that's concat. And then generally, like, the people would just concat and then minify it. And then, like, that would be be all they do. But um, purifying, uh, the way I imagined it is, like, after you concat all the styles together, you would purify it, which is basically looking for the dead weight in those files, like the the code that doesn't actually do anything for your application. uh, You'd strip that out and then you would minify it, which ultimately reduces the weight of the files.
0: So you use the example of bootstrap as something that we don't use all of the code from, Right, and right. this is an example where we would get a lot of value out of using Purify CSS. So explain, for those who don't know what Bootstrap is, I guess just briefly explain, I think most people do know what it is, but explain what it is and talk about why Purify CSS is useful for projects that are using Bootstrap.
1: Yeah, so so Bootstrap is something that Twitter created. And like I said before, it's it's like this CSS framework. It's It comes with a lot of prepackaged code so you can make your your website kind of look good really easily because like all all these classes are given to you so you you know you can just when you want to create like a small app uh, you can just start like running with it and have it styled nicely really quickly so the problem with this is that you know it's like they give you all these classes for you to use. But then rarely do you actually use every single one that they give you, which means there's a lot of dead weight. And that means that, like, the people who go to your small application that maybe is only using a percentage of Bootstrap, they're loading all of this extra, like, selectors, and it just makes your apps a lot slower to load. Yeah.
0: And in order to find out what parts of Bootstrap are not being used by a particular project. So if you if, if a user is using Bootstrap, Purify CSS would find these parts that are not being used by the project because Bootstrap is a, is a gigantic file. You run text analysis on the code for that project in order to find out which modules within Bootstrap are actually being used. So what kinds of of text analysis are you performing on code in order to find out which aspects of bootstrap are not being utilized
1: so basically like this is the way that we approached it it's um okay so before all right so let me just back up and like before purifying there was this concept of there was another module called uncss and what that module would do is, like, it would look at all your HTML files, look at the classes being used, and then basically, like, that's how they would extract the information, right? Like, they look at all the classes used in the HTML, and then strip out all the CSS that is, like, not those classes. Now, this is, that's good, but it's not good enough uh, for today's world because, a lot of our classes come from JavaScript. So that's where we do the static analysis, which is basically we look at your JavaScript and HTML, and we basically just turn it into one huge string. Uh, generally, the HTML, we can extract classes from there. The JavaScript, we do um, interesting things with it, like we strip out... We strip out things that are not strings and stuff like that. But we look at – like, and then we turn that into one big string. And then we look at the words that come up. And we essentially – all the classes that we know for sure aren't being used, we can remove. And it comes out to – there are classes that there's a potential for it to being used that we still leave in. So actually – If you use Purify and use it on an app big enough, because there's so many words, there will still be some leftover classes that aren't being used that still end up in the final CSS file. But then because we try to be safe with it, essentially, we take out the classes that we know for certain that aren't going to be used.
0: Is that because there's is there some inherent element of non-determinism for how the code loads, or is it just that the text analysis that you would have to do to be that comprehensive and that thorough is so sophisticated that purify CSS doesn't have that part implemented yet?
1: Well, it's because, uh, I mean, you can create, because the classes come from JavaScript, it, becomes really, really difficult. I mean, you can imagine, like, let's say you have a class called Active, right? And then in your JavaScript, you, like, create the class Active by um, adding Act and then I've, you know? So, like, we, it, it would be really difficult to do stuff like that. And you can imagine other ways in JavaScript where, like, the individual characters don't even show up. And, you know, maybe you do some crazy things, like you make a request for it and other stuff like that. So there's a lot of, like, limitations that you can do just because we're doing static analysis. But um, we really aim for... But, like, that's, like, the 0.01% use case. (laughs) 99, you, you have to be really... You know, you, you, got, you got to be doing some really weird stuff to hit that. We try to aim for, like, the usual case where, okay, you can imagine, like, button slash active. Okay, you know, you can imagine combining them. So button shows up, active shows up. So then we kind of, like, take that into consideration.
0: It seems like you would only have to run this purification once when you when you are ready to ship your app. So it's not a performance critical aspect of the application and you can really get clever and greedy with the mechanisms that you use to perform the code analysis because you only have to run it once. Is
1: that accurate? Uh that that is pretty that is pretty accurate. Uh but I mean I mean, I remember our, our first impl- implementation ever. It was a super naive implementation. It was like, like we just turned your whole application into a string, and then we took all of the selectors in your CSS file, and then we basically just did like an index of, and, and that, like on a really sizable application that took around like a hundred seconds, even though, even though that was just like a really dumb implementation. We were just trying to see what would happen like if it was even possible so it's like so it's uh, the performance wise we've actually did have to focus on that because even though it takes let's say it takes like 20 seconds right i mean that still kind of sucks because you're going to want to test that uh locally you know like like, yeah sure you use this external module but you're going to (laughs) want to test that it works like it says it does so you're going to, probably going to run that on like you know on a listener or something it's going to happen every single time you save and 20 seconds is that that would just suck so we so we, how, we did focus on making it perform better
0: how fast did you get it to for for that big pro- prototypical javascript application so
1: big prototypical javascript application we actually we brought it down pretty pretty well uh it comes down i mean this is it comes down to around two seconds, and that's giving... That's, like, really bad scenarios. Yeah. So, it's like, it's, like, that's that's doable, you know? That's, you know, that's not too bad for... If you're listening on save, the two seconds is not that bad.
0: So, give me some numbers. How How much smaller will my app get if I use Purify CSS to reduce the giant prototypical JavaScript application?
1: Right, so... So, actually like there's there's a way like there's no docs for this, which is which is something I need to work on but like there's a there's a way that you can use purify that that'll actually make it better but like if you just do it, you just run it and throw all your files in there, it really depends on your application and stuff like that, but generally you could reduce it by like forty percent thirty percent and so-
0: of your overall code, you're
1: saying? Yeah. Yeah, 40% of your overall code. It really depends on how, like, if you're using a CSS framework. I mean, if you're using custom, if you never used a CSS framework for your application, you just wrote all the selectors, there's actually a good chance that, you know, you're actually using a high percentage of the selectors that you created. But if you're using a framework, um. The chance of purify reducing the file size is even higher, and th- there's actually um, interesting ways you can do it. Like, like I was saying before, is that like you when you pass in the HTML and JavaScript, I'm talking about JavaScript now, is that you know you don't really want to pass in files that that you know that pertain to making requests and other stuff like that. You only want to pass in the JavaScript that. Uh, that is focused on the views because those are the those are the only files that would actually contain classes. Like your JavaScript files that make requests to APIs, like they wouldn't really contain CSS classes. So if you don't pass those in, there's going to be less uh, false, false positives. So if you do it really well, you can reduce it even further.
0: Got it. Yeah, it's super efficient. So most... <laughs> People who are building JavaScript applications, front-facing JavaScript applications, they would want Purify CSS, I mean, most likely. Um, And you built plugins for Grunt and Gulp that allow people to easily add Purify CSS to their projects. For people who are not very familiar with front-end development, explain why these build tools are important. What are the purposes of Grunt
1: and Gulp? Yeah, so Grunt and Gulp, like, they make it really easy for you to do, like, tasks. Like, like before we were talking about concat and minify, like, Grunt and Gulp, they allow you to create, like, this concat task that, you know, you can run a command, you can run one command in your terminal or whatever and then it would concat it for you then you can set it up so that it it would minify it for you after that and i mean you can do a whole lot of things with with basically like moving your files around do whatever you need to do to go from development mode to production mode and or anything else you need basically so it's just a way for you to run tasks and we created plugins for for grunt and gulp so that you can basically, you know, do what we wanted, which was concat and then purify and then minify. So that's why we created the plugins.
0: What is involved in writing a plugin
1: for grunt or gulp? Um, so, so grunt grunt and gulp they they actually actually one of my friends did the grunt and gulp plugins. But they have pretty pretty good documentation on how to actually write it. But like they, you know, they, they expose some functions. You know, there's a lot of examples that you can look at for how to create the plugins. Um, and yeah, like you basically just hook into the the grunt like cycle essentially.
0: Okay. Well, after building plugins for Grunt and Gulp you and your team were going to write a plugin for Webpack, which is another one of these build tools. And things got interesting when you started to work on that plugin. What happened when you decided to start building that plugin for Webpack?
1: All right. So I I worked on this with a couple of my friends. Um, We kind of, we were kind of like, all right, you guys are going to create the grunt and gulp. And then, you know, I'll do the, webpack plugin and that that sounds cool because like i thought webpack was pretty cool so i would work on the webpack plugin and then it turns out that the web there's there's no documentation to create webpack plugins so like so then the only thing you could really go off of was like webpack has these internal plugins that it itself uses so you would have these like plugin examples for you to go off of i mean even today um, i'm not even confident that you know i could create a webpack plugin just like straight up but because there's just not enough documentation i think that's that's like a general theme with with like uh with webpack is you know like the the creator of it's not really He's really time constrained, so doesn't have like the most docs in the world, but but yeah, we we basically just looked at example plugins, and then we had to read a lot of code, and huh. we actually um, like we I I had to dive into so much of the source code that actually made contributions to to webpack. That's how that's how that started that's that that's how i started getting into the webpack code and stuff like that actually and i think i think i looked at the yeah. github uh you know commit
0: frequency and it was like i i don't i don't know the history of webpack but th- whoever the the person is that started it, it has the vast majority of the commits like <laughs> it's, it's so much more than the second person i think you were the second person, yeah. second or third and Yeah, Uh, yeah. which is kind of unusual for a popular open source tool. Usually, you know, the open if you have an open source tool that's used by a lot of people. It's usually committed to by a lot of people. But Webpack seems to be an exception.
1: Yeah, really.
0: um, And I guess what you're saying is a canonical lesson for some people that if you don't have documentation, it's pretty hard to contribute.
1: No, it's really hard to contribute. I think there's an actual Webpack issue that that basically says like the code is too hard to follow. <laughs> like clean up the code. Like that was that was the GitHub issue. I remember reading that. But but yeah, what uh, the Webpack? Yeah, it's it's really weird. It's an interesting I, project. I mean,
0: how, how is it taken? Because my understanding, I am not deep into this community, but my understanding is the Webpack has. I guess, gotten more popularity than Grunt or Gulp. I I don't know how these different build systems Mm -hmm. relate Mm -hmm. to one another, but my understanding is Webpack is a little more popular. Um, Maybe you can give me some history on how these different build systems have evolved in uh, different different trajectories.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, big time. Um, Yeah, Webpack is definitely... Like become popular. Like if you if you just look at the npm downloads for Webpack, like it's like it's insane. It's the growth is really insane. It's actually recent too. Um, When I when I first started, you know, when we created this thing for Webpack, like it was the growth wasn't even as quick as it is now. If you look at it now, it's insane. But it's yeah. It's I would definitely say it's like the mo- more popular one out of <clears throat> Grunt and Gulp, but but yeah, I think the first one ever that came onto the scene was Grunt, and then and then Gulp came along. Basically, Gulp tried to make it like more readable and then like easier to use than Grunt and Gulp. And I think the big thing with the Webpack, the, the big thing with Webpack was like like you you can do code splitting and it's like if we, if we go back to that example that I was talking about before it's like you have like this login screen and then you have this uh, feed page and i think one of the original reasons why webpack was made was because <clears throat> if you if you go to the login screen you can actually if you go to the login screen you load you make one request and you get everything that you need but only for that login screen. So if you go back to what I was saying about concat before, like they they combine all the code for basically the login screen and the feed page. So you would make one request to get all of that. And then it was then later on you, you you would think like okay, well, why why would I get the code for the feed page If uh, I'm just going to the login page, like now it becomes another problem where, and Webpack fixed that by allowing you to split your code into just the login page and then just the feed page. So like this is different from the original problem that concat was fixing because like that problem was, you're making too many requests, but you're making too many requests on the same page. Whereas uh, the what webpack allows you to do is you make one request for each page basically which is like the best solution
0: so back to the discussion of building a plugin for mm-hmm. webpack though how 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 was it that this that this was so hard to do had nobody written plugins for webpack before
1: A lot of people like the plugin ecosystem was actually like it was there. It was there, but you really had to like like read a lot of source code. You had to
0: reverse engineer the source code.
1: Exactly, exactly. Like it it wasn't super easy for you to like ramp up, but it did. It did actually exist. Um, Actually, uh, one of the like the the way that we got into Purify. Is that like originally we just wanted to create a webpack plugin? Like we we never wanted to to do like the grunt and gulp and all that stuff. We did we we didn't even want to do like the standalone purify. Like all we want uh we were looking through the issues for Webpack, and we just wanted to make a contribution to Webpack. And one of the issues, and actually that issue is still up today, is that um like somebody wanted a Webpack plugin for unCSS. unCSS is like the, the the module I was talking about before, where it looks at your HTML and pulls out the classes. Basically, there was an issue on Webpack for somebody to create a plugin for that, and then that's actually how that's all we wanted to do, pretty much. Uh, we we just wanted to create a plugin for Webpack. And then once we started looking at unCSS more, uh, we just, like, it just wasn't good enough because it only looked at the HTML. I mean, there were some ways for you to pull classes out of JavaScript, but it was not even, it wasn't even robust, robust enough. It wasn't even close to what it should be. So that, that's how we got into creating plugins for, for Webpack. That was our original goal in the beginning. Before you even started working on Purify CSS, yeah. You're saying. Before we even started working on Purify, like we just wanted to create a Webpack plugin for Uncss, and and then it's really funny. Like, it just we we just saw a way to make it better. We did it, and then we we posted it on to Hacker News, and it just it took off, and it was it was crazy. So
0: I want to get some more context here for. What was going on when you went through this experience of trying to make a Webpack plugin, and then eventually stumbling onto this Purify CSS idea and building that? <laughs> what was going on in your life when you and your team started working on this project?
1: Yeah, so this whole time I've I've just been saying like we we. So it's like me and my team. We were we were part of a coding bootcamp. We were near called Hack Reactor. Uh, it's really really great um we were in our project phase and basically the project phase is you you they give you time to create something to pretty much like land you a job essentially like after after the coding bootcamp is done and it's like supposed to be all of your learning distilled into one project and uh yeah so so i i want
0: to touch on that a little more cuz this is a really interesting background you've you've actually attended two different coding boot camps. Can you tell me about that what is your educational background? Did you go to college or did you did you just graduate high school and go to two coding boot camps
1: i i graduated high school um i knew that i didn't like i never went to college and it it wasn't it wasn't a decision where it was like Oh, I'm not going to go to college because I'm going to go to a coding boot camp. Actually, like I just didn't go to college. I had like no like Because You plan. knew it was a scam because I knew it like it was a scam. I-, I didn't know how far you wanted to take it on this. You know, I didn't know how. Well, far
0: no, you let's it. let's 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 take it as far as we can. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, li- li- listeners to this show, kind of know my perspective on that. I I went to college, but. Uh, and so it's 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 kind of impossible for me to say it's a complete scam because I'm happy with how I turned out
1: but yeah,
0: yeah. looking at it objectively it's a scam <laughs> no, So and, so from your yeah. perspective like why did you come to that conclusion It's just because
1: I, I don't know, I, I never really liked school I never really did well in school so and I I just to me it just felt like the internet had like a lot of, you can learn so much more on the internet. My original goal was to pretty much try all of these different things. You know, I can probably learn how to code just from the internet, and then, and then that's how, I and then, I feel really lucky. Like that's that's when coding bootcamps started taking off. And then I and then I found that, and that that really like jump started. Like it really like was a catalyst essentially. But I it's really interesting that you said that because recently on hacker news i don't know if you saw it but there was this thing where it's, it's from oh, the, a triple triple byte. Byte. Yeah, the triple byte the triple byte post yeah it just compared compared uh, cs grads with you know coding bootcamp grads and over like,
0: a large sample size
1: yeah over a large sample size and it's pretty crazy like the practical programming was essentially on the same level
0: well and what was interesting about that post was that Amon, The guy that wrote it, he he said that mm-hmm. like actually, it seems like people from coding boot camps do really well in interviews, and also people who went to university do really well in interviews, and they do well on disjoint things. They each have their own strengths, and when I read that, I was like, is he just being diplomatic? Like, is he being is he being truthful, or is he being diplomatic? Right. Like like are because because when I was reading that, I was like, it sounds like. If you're a company, you just want the coding bootcamp person every day. You don't want the the academically educated. I mean, maybe you do and uh, on occasion, but like I I don't know. I did did you get that impression reading it or did you did, did it seem like there really is some strong attributes that you get out of a university education that you don't get from a coding bootcamp education?
1: No, I think um like one of the best things that you get from a bootcamp is like you, you like you you know what it feels like when you're learning quickly. Like, like you kind of get that memory of, okay, this is what it feels like when you're learning really, really quickly. I think, you know, if you go to university, it's kind of like spread out across years, basically. And, and that's their business model. And that's, yeah, that's their business model. To protract it. Yeah. And, you know, making that money every year.
0: Yeah, they uh, they have a great IRR at uh, at the university. Um, So okay, so not to I guess harp on that too much. Well, no, sure, let's harp on it a little more. So so tell me about about this. I know, me too. Okay, so so you went to one coding boot camp, right? And then you ended up going to another. Was this like? your graduate school, like university and then graduate
1: school or what? Like, what was yeah, that I was process like? Do, like my PhD, you know, No, but basically, okay. So what happened was I, w- I went to app Academy. I was in the second ever, like the second ever cohort. I mean, really it was the first cause the first one was for iOS and then I was for the first one for rails. And then after that, I remember after that, uh, like I was the only one in the cohort, I think that like, that didn't go for a job. like everybody else in that cohort went and got a job. I think I, I just wanted to work on my own projects and stuff like that because like that that was kind of like the the whole reason why I wanted to code was for just to build my own personal projects, basically and so so after that i i took i think it was i think it was like two years two years just went went home and just worked on the projects that I wanted to work on really and wow wait like, like
0: so you just like moved back in with your parents and just worked on your coding projects,
1: yeah, seriously, and i mean i I love that experience i like I think I learned so much like without without doing that, and then like taking the next coding bootcamp because I wanted to learn JavaScript. And like without that experience, I wouldn't have done such a like outlandish kind of project for at the end of Hack Reactor, the second one, because in in your project phase, 90% of the people, 90% of the people just do apps, right? Because, you know, you want to play it safe. You want to do something that just shows... Like, I know, I know how to code. Like, I know what I'm doing. But let's say Purify CSS, right? If you looked at the source code of Purify CSS, it's probably a thousand lines. And you're not using React. You're not using Angular. Like, it's just a thousand lines of JavaScript. Like, let's say Purify bombed, right? Like, it went nowhere. Uh, you know, you, you, you would essentially be going into the job search with, like, okay, I have, like, this 1,000-line here <laughs> JavaScript thing. And, like, most, you know, I mean, the good companies don't do this. But, like, there's a lot of companies that are just like, okay, show me your experience with XYZ framework so I know that you can contribute. So then it was, it was kind of risky. But, I mean, what I'm trying to Except say is... Except that it's
0: actually not because... Yeah. By setting yourself up for that situation, you're filtering against these terrible cookie-cutter job hunt processes.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's that's true. But, like, let's – I mean, like, if Purify CSS didn't didn't take off the way it did, I don't think it would have – I don't think it would have really, like, helped me as much for the good companies it, but, if I was but going for the, that kind of thing. It,
0: but in in the long, the long run, I think this is what some people miss, is that the real important part is to understand how to force yourself to, like, have an insight about... Well, first you have an insight about something, and then it's to force yourself to take action on that insight and build a project around it and believe throughout the process that it's a worthwhile project to work on, whether or not you're taking, like, the probabilistic approach of the probabilistic uh, assessment that like maybe this will work out maybe it won't you essentially just say this is an insight i'm having and i don't care if other people believe it i'm going to follow through with it and work on the project and overcoming that fear is actually like in in the long run that is going to serve you much better than any sort of conventionality that that maybe helps you navigate the the uh, you know, oh, yeah the, the herd mentality job market a little better in the near term
1: yeah, yeah definitely like that that strategy I was talking about is like if your number one goal in life was to like be employed like that would be the strategy that you take like obviously like you're actually when you go to a boot camp like your vision can be really really short term like like dang I, I really want to get a job after but if you look i mean if you're looking at it from the perspective of like like, things to work on. Like, definitely, you should do, you should definitely think about, you know, doing things that are that would actually be, be useful, whether it's an app or some random module, you know? And it's, like, how much can you learn? And actually, I think one of the benefits of working on something like this is, like, you almost, like, wh- while I was working on Purify, like, I almost got that, that feeling was like, okay, I think there's there's like something here. I think this could could actually be used by a lot of other people. And you almost like remember that feeling, that you always want to get that feeling every time you want to work on a personal project.
0: Right, that momentum. Okay, so I want to take the devil's advocate approach here a little bit. So the university, this is where... Apache Spark came out of. This is where Apache Mesos came out of. You work at Mesosphere now. We'll get into that. but, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, And, you know, I find your story about Purify CSS interesting because it's the first instance I've heard of a really useful open source tool coming out of a coding boot camp. And maybe it's not the first occurrence, but it's the first time I've heard of it. And yeah, uh, so the question is, like... Um, are can can more adv- even more advanced tools come out of this uh, coding bootcamp environment? Can something on the scale and scope of Apache Spark or Apache Mesos—these things that took a long time to marinade in the minds of the researchers who were working at Berkeley—you mm-hmm. um, know—in this university environment that we've lauded for so long—can this level of of ingenuity and long term project thinking, can this come out of a coding bootcamp also?
1: Well, see, it's really tough because one of the... Like, the coding bootcamp's priority is, like, get you a job. Like, they want to have that stat where it's, like, 99% of the students got, like, you know, 100K salary or something like that. So, like, that's their their priority. Uh, I think if you really wanted to create some organization where like it really fosters like you know like really risky things and stuff like that. You just you just cannot have that priority. I think we were kind of like an edge case where we kinda we didn't go down the app route. But actually I, I gotta give Hack Reactor some, some credit here because like the way they do the project period is um we we are not the only ones who did something crazy. Like if you, if you look at the history of Hack Reactor, like more than any other bootcamp, I believe is like, there are a lot of these like hard technical projects that are taken um, during the project period. So, and Hack Reactor kind of did that by letting you pick your project. Like you essentially pick your project they, they kind of encourage it too. They kind of encourage the risk-taking. Whereas, like for App Academy, they had essentially like one goal. It was like, you know, build something. Don't do anything crazy. Just build something that d- demonstrates your skills. So just that difference, like you can have some, you can foster some, you know, like hard technical projects. But if, if, if you have that, Priority of getting your students a job—you just can't have that short-term thing. So it's going to be really tough.
0: Hmm. How do you think this coding bootcamp um, market is going to shape out? I mean, it's 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 a very interesting result that you know you you are the first person who I've heard of who's done two different coding boot camps. I'm sure there are others, but mm-hmm. um, two. Well, you did two high quality coding bootcamps i've i have heard of these people who go to these um low quality coding bootcamps and they're like well that sucked and then they go to app academy or or hack reactor after that but you went to app academy which is high quality and then you went to um you went to hack reactor which is high quality and then you know you could go to another coding bootcamp in the future maybe if they make a super sophisticated eight month or eight week bootcamp and um
1: yeah, how's this yeah, going to totally shape out? Is, is this
0: is is this going to be is this going to be some replacement for for university where you have like a uh, a la carte uh, coding coding bootcamp sequence that you can seek out? Or how, how do you see that evolving over time?
1: Like, it's just it's just insane the value <laughs> that you get with a with a coding bootcamp. Like, let's say Hack Reactor, right? Like the tuition is like eighteen k, like the likelihood of get you getting a job is really high. I think it was like 99%. And then – so then you're going to pay that off within like the first couple months, several months of your first job. And then not only do you pay it back but like now you have like this insane skill that you didn't have before. So like the boot camps value-wise, it's just insane. Now there's like data science – boot camps coming up now like I I do think that's that's the way that it's gonna to move towards uh, something interesting though is that I've noticed that there's just like boot camps right that take like that pretty much make you good enough to get a job and then there's this whole other section sector which is basically like a boot camp to get into a boot camp it's like the pre boot camp Oh, yeah. It's like – so I think that's an interesting trajectory is like the barrier is like moving lower. It's like like there's boot camps against you, boot camp, and then there's – it's going to keep moving down. Like the barriers is just going to become so low for you to just start picking something up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I think that's really interesting. Um, can this be replicated for other skills and stuff like that? I, I don't know because – Because programming, like, the demand is, like, really high. I don't know if you can just do this for, like, something else. That's going to be hard to say.
0: Yeah. I'll be concerned if there's, like, a surgery boot camp that starts soon. Yeah. Um, (laughs)
1: Like, like like the stat stat for surgery would be, like, 98% of our doctors didn't kill somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly.
0: So, okay, um... Today, you work at Mesosphere. You work on front-end development at Mesosphere. We think mm-hmm. of Mesos as a back-end technology. It is this data center operating system. Um, listeners may have heard episodes about Kubernetes or um, mm-hmm. you know, other, other scheduler type of um, tools like Mesos. I guess tell me give me an overview of what Mesos does from your perspective and what the company Mesosphere does and what you're working on there.
1: So basically like the best analogy that I that I heard uh, describes what what all of this does is like you know on your computer you have multiple cores, right? And like whenever you launch an application like if you open up Chrome and you have four cores, like you don't have to pick like what you what core you want to run it on like you just open the application and in the background it just kind of distributes the work however it you know however it should so i th- i think you can think of like every node as a kind of core and you can run applications on all of these nodes you don't have to worry about any, like any of the nodes you can just treat it as one huge computer. So I think like that's what Mesos is trying to do.
0: And so what kind of work do you do? What, what, what kind of problems are there on the front end? What does the front end of Mesosphere provide?
1: Right. So the front end of Mesosphere is like, we work on the DCOS, the, the UI for DCOS, which is data center operating system. And basically like that's like the ui for for you to run applications you, 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 that and like you can see all of your cores and you can just run your applications and like that's like your interface to do that so that's and, that's what i work on
0: in terms of competitive edge with these different scheduler technologies like particularly mm-hmm. with with Mes- with uh kubernetes um you know i think of kubernetes as and mesosphere as competitors, whether or not... I mean, some people don't, or some people say they're synergistic, or, and maybe that's the case, but from my mm-hmm. sur- surveying the technology landscape, it seems like they're in competition. And one of the axes where competition is really, really important between the two is this usability layer, this this front-end um, interfacing right. layer that almost guides how, how easily it is for somebody to, to onboard onboard. With these highly complex technologies, do you agree with that assessment?
1: So, so like one of the you're saying one of the places where like it's really going to matter is like basically the usability of it. Is that what you're saying? Well, the the
0: user I I think usability is, is definitely important, but UI it plays a key role in the usability. And I'm wondering, I guess, if you agree with that entire thesis, like how important is the usability, or or is there some is there some technical advantage between uh, Kubernetes or Mesos uh, that I'm missing here, or or do these mostly seem like uh, so- somewhat redundant uh, technologies where the usability layer is is really one of the defining characteristics?
1: I mean, like the usability layer is definitely going to be one of the defining char- characteristics. Like no matter what, like you just want the the barrier to using the product to be super low. Like you just press a couple buttons and you're basically doing all of this work that it used to take like specialists to do. So like Mesosphere has been, it's actually, I'm impressed. Like they, the, their focus on design has been really huge. They they've acquired like a design studio in the past. They're still here. <laughs> they really care about making it really easy to use. So yeah, so I mean d- that definitely is going to be one of the defining characteristics. Hmm. So given that you work
0: on the front end of Mesosphere, which is a company that, you know, we would c- you typically think of as a back-end company, but y- as you pointed out, you know, th- they acquired a design studio, they obviously are concerned with the front end. But mm-hmm. in any case, because you work at the front end of a back-end c- company, this gives you exposure to all levels of the modern application stack so i'm very curious what is your holistic view for how application development is evolving how is this going to look from end to end you know going into the future
1: well like the amount of resources that's going to be available like to you as a developer is going to be crazy because like you're going to you're going to be able to create these applications that can, that can utilize all of these nodes, and it'll be super simple for you to do. And I think that's something that Mesosphere has been working on. Like we kind of have this concept of universe where it's kind of like this app store for distributed uh, system applications. You, know, you can just install. You can install it. You can use it. It's almost like you're basically using an app on your on your Mac or on your phone, except it's using the whole data center. So I think I think the, the way that they put it was like there was like the operating system for your computer and there was an operating system for your phone, and now we're going to bring that to the data center where you can create these programs that can run on top of that just like just like uber the app runs on your phone you can create other applications that would run on the data center that and you can use all those resources and it is
0: such a bright future and i'm i'm curious have you thought about what those apps might be i mean we always have this thing where you know we can see what we should build in order to give Give the next generation of programmers the tools that they need, but oftentimes we can't anticipate what they're going to build. The one thing I can I can see that people would really be utilizing once distributed computing becomes a lot easier is you know a machine learning framework like TensorFlow. They could they could utilize that much more easily with if you if you can just click a button and install TensorFlow on your uh, into your app and quickly begin utilizing it. But what kinds of things do you think we're going
1: to be utilizing? I think, like, the only thing I'm sure of is that, like, it's going to be unexpected. Like, <laughs> that – because, I mean, you nobody could have predicted Uber and it's, like – and how quickly it just took over, you know, like, our habits and stuff like that. So, it's, for sure, it's going to be unexpected. I think it's it's going to be unforeseeable, to be honest. Like, but then – it's going to be interesting because you have this new this new level that you can build things on, and like like the possibilities are, are going to be really interesting. But I I have no idea what's going to be coming.
0: Well, we've talked about CSS, we've talked about coding boot camps, and now we have ended with talking about the data center operating system and the future of computing. So this has been a great conversation we've covered basically everything
1: um well, we talked thanks. about uh, surgical boot camps. <laughs> that's going right. to be the future forget data centers
0: <laughs> oh what am i doing with this podcast i need to start a surgery boot camp <laughs> okay well thanks for coming on the show canny this has been a great conversation
1: All right, thanks for having me